0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Hey, welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire podcast network. I'm Kyle and I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Joining me shortly is Chris Peterman. He covers the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee and our favorite cast member. Nick Wagner covers the 49ers for ESPN. He is omnipresent on this podcast, uh, but he's here in person today to talk about what he's seen at camp and to talk about DK Metcalf's contract, what that means for Debo Samuel and a hilarious conclusion to the Kyler Murray independent study contract clause. Let's dive in.
2: Hey, this is George Kittle and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles.
1: Outside the 30-yard line, Nick Bosa drops Aaron Rodgers for a 13-yard loss. What pass, caught by Kittle, he dives, and he's in! Touchdown, 49ers! Alright, big news, guys. Kyler Murray has had the independent study clause removed from his contract, which is the only way this could have gotten funnier. Like, it was already super funny that the Cardinals wrote into his contract, like, hey, no video games while you're watching film, bro. No browsing the Internet. And then it became a big deal. And they just went, "Eh, all right, we're erasing that. And then leaked it to a reporter that they're (laughs) like,
3: dude, it just magically disappeared. The whole sentiment, the whole idea, it just it just vanished into thin air and it never happened. So now it's not an issue, right? I, just, I love the idea that like they're just going to keep adding it
2: and taking it away based on like public reaction. <laughs> so like everyone's going to make fun of them now for removing it and then they're going to put it back in like, yeah. oh, wait, now we're getting made. <laughs> and it'll just be like this ongoing bit that they do over and over because they, they're just doing it based on public reaction. That's, Either
1: that's that or they have to lean in. It was, they have to lean in now and put it in every player's contract and back. That's no, just standard. <laughs> Or just put it. Or like just Cardinal like, oh, Way so
2: Tyler's iPad. That's just is the Cardinal Way. Like, go over to his house to do it.
3: Or just every contract they sign going forward leak to a reporter saying there is no study, independent study clause in this deal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Control F, independent study. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. anyways, that's just that's so per. Like that makes It, it they made it so much worse. Because yeah. Kyler came out on Thursday. I don't want to spend hell of time on this. But Kyler came out Thursday, did an impromptu press conference, talked about it, was like, all right, man, whatever. Like, it's there. Like, the damage is done. Yeah, They just can't tear up the contract now if he doesn't study hard enough.
3: Yeah, the toothpaste is out of the tube. He was upset because everyone was talking about it. But, like, it's not a great look for him to be super upset and defensive about it because it's in the contract that he signed. Right. And it's not – it's not – it's not – the reactions fault that people are reacting to what's in his deal that he negotiated and he put pen to paper on. So, you know, I think it's, you know, these are, these are the reasons like examples of why I think people are just skeptical about Kyler Murray in general. And I think now we also have reason even beyond what we already thought about the Cardinals. We have more reason to feel not great about them going into the season with, you know, their, their head coach and, ownership and general manager situation people had questions about Kyler Murray
2: before like his height and things like that but you didn't hear a lot of like oh I don't think he studies enough because who who are we to say that the Cardinals are the (laughs) one that brought Ted to the forefront by putting it in the contract that as Chris said Kyler Murray signed so like you can't be mad at people for reacting to a thing that was not started by the people it was started in-house and yeah you probably didn't want that to leak but it clearly did, and clearly it got leaked again. That it's now been removed. I'm just like I said. I I would like it just to be kind of inserted and taken away, like almost as a bit, just like an ongoing <laughs> thing. Maybe make it an incentive. You know,
1: I need, after their first loss, they need to put it back in. <laughs> like, we don't think you studied enough this week. The, fir- the first, the first thing, back.
3: the first thing Cliff Kingsbury says in his post game press conference. Yeah, I think this week we we really need to reinstitute the independent study clause not only for kyler but our defensive guys too kyler murray stats for the week you know like 16 of 40 138
2: yards 2.1 hours of study <laughs> obviously.
1: there's a there's oh. a coincidence a, guys there's a the the relationship between hours of study and touchdowns thrown is directly proportional yeah. four hours four tutties mm-hmm. that's how it works yep anyways Talk let's about talk, about stu- yeah, or let's Dino talk about stuff
3: Samuel,
1: actually. Yeah, let's talk about stuff that actually matters for the 49ers. DK Metcalf signed a contract extension with the Seattle Seahawks. Three years, $72 million, $58 million, $58.2 guaranteed. The most ever guaranteed for a wide receiver, the most ever guaranteed for a non quarterback edge or left tackle. If my if my numbers are, are correct there. This obviously impacts 49ers, A, because DK Metcalf is now in their division either through 2024 or 2025. A little bit of confusion there. But <laughs> DK Metcalf and Debo Samuel, of course, share an agent. So now it's like that's the last domino to fall before a Debo Samuel deal was going to get done. So, Nick, when you see 3-72-58 and 72 and 58 for DK, is that about what we can expect Debo Samuel's deal to come in at? Do we think he'll be a little bit north of that? What, what was your reaction when you saw the contract terms for DK Metcalf.
2: Yeah. I mean, I still, I still kind of fall in the camp of like, I don't know that they needed another parameter to work with like DK Metcalf guys is the sixth wide receiver this offseason to sign a contract that gives him 24 plus million dollars annually. So like God. they don't it's not like they need oh wow well, we now we've really got it. It was that 6th one that put <laughs> us over the top. We know what the deal needs to look like now. So I don't think that necessarily matters. I think what's interesting here is if you want to talk about contract length and term um, because it's been reported one of the things that's come out on the DK Metcalf thing is oh he gets to hit the market again at 27 28 years old, whatever that is that's clearly being pushed by the agent because he likes the idea of getting another bite of that apple. And I have heard, and I know others have reported that that's something Debo Samuel is interested in, not necessarily in terms of the contract length, although that would play into it, but more so in terms of, you know, we had these conversations about his usage. Um, and, And I think that's one of the things, one of the reasons that Debo Samuel has some concerns about being used as much as he was as a running back last year, is because he would like to get to another contract, At some point, uh, another lucrative contract at some point, it's just going to be harder for Debo because he's already older. He's 26 years old and the 49ers traditionally don't do shorter term extensions. You're usually looking at four to five years uh, with what the 49ers have done, particularly when you look at recent examples like George Kittle, Fred Warner. So. I, I still expect the numbers like from an annual value to be about in this range, maybe a little bit north of what DK Metcalf got. Um, but I think the guarantees and the term are still going to be kind of the interesting thing to get. But maybe this in terms of at least guarantee is something to play off of. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't know that this necessarily moves the needle too much in terms of, oh, now the Niners feel like they can get it done. If nothing else, it just frees up Tory Dandy. You know, he, he's got this is the last domino for Tory Dandy to knock out before it's all said and done.
3: Yeah. My first thought when seeing the contract was, man, if I'm the 49ers, I would love to sign Debo Samuel to this contract. Right. Because I think ultimately when you look at the issues that they've had with some of their big contracts, they've been too long. Like D Ford's contract was Mm -hmm. too long and the team essentially made it longer by restructuring him before last season. And they haven't had good luck with some of these long lucrative contracts with guys on big deals. Right. Like some of these, Five year, Weston Richburg is an example. D. Ford's an example. Like, I'm sure there are others. Malcolm Smith, Pierre Garcon. Like, I think the Quan Niners. Alexander? Quan Alexander. Yeah, that's a good one. So, I, I think what the 49ers could learn from this, and, and I don't know if Debo Samuel's camp would be willing to do a three year deal or a three year extension, but I think that's kind of the sweet spot, right? Because you get Debo Samuel for, you know, two or three more years, depending on what's guaranteed. DK Metcalf essentially has two of those years guaranteed with that $54 million number or the $58.2 million number. So if you're the 49ers, you say, okay, now if Debo Samuel's great over the next couple of years, then we can extend him. Or if Debo Samuel's great, and we're worried about how he's going to hold up into the latter portion of his career, maybe they can trade him and potentially get a package, including a first round pick, or maybe even two, if he's a star, because by that point we're going to be having probably what, $35 million receivers. And I don't know if it's going to make much sense because I keep seeing receivers come into the league every year and be really good. And I don't think supply is matching demand when it comes to these receiver deals and the way the prices are exploding. Right. So I just I think a three year deal would make a lot of sense for the 49ers, and I think it would make sense for Debo Samuel for the same reason it makes sense for DK Metcalf in that he can get another bite of the apple sooner um, rather than, you know, having to wait out the, the fourth year, or the fifth year of that contract, while the 49ers would have more short term flexibility and not be killed from a salary cap perspective if Debo Samuel were to get hurt like some of these other big contract guys that they've had.
2: Yeah, yeah, I would I would push back just a little bit on on what Chris just said, at least in terms of the from the 49ers perspective, only not because, not allowed
3: on this podcast.
2: Yeah, sorry, okay. it's too <laughs> late. You already invited me. on your your mistake. Uh, But but just the idea that the 49ers would benefit from doing a shorter term contract. I, I think for them, it's not just about setting things up for, you know, oh, we, we he'd get another bite of the apple and we probably wouldn't want to afford then. But you would actually if he is still very good, if you sign him to a four or five year deal, that's. A bargain at that point. If you say if the contracts go to $35 million a year, then that's a bargain. The other thing I would say is to your point about the guys who haven't worked out on the longer term contracts, which is true. A lot of that's their own doing. You'd like to think they've learned their lesson in terms of some of the the renegotiating and kicking the can down the road. And with the salary cap exploding the way it's supposed to, I don't think you have to worry as much about doing those renegotiations where you are kicking the can down the road a little bit more. So I think the 49ers can think of it more in terms of, okay, maybe we're paying him a little bit more on the front end of this. But on the back end of this, this might be a little bit of a bargain. Of course, the question then becomes if Debo is still killing it three years from now he's probably going to want an extension and, and then you might have to revisit right. that conversation that way. But I just think in terms of from the 49, if you're looking at it from the 49ers perspective, a four or five year deal makes more sense. And the way they structure those deals anyway, more often than not, they can get out of them after two, maybe three at the longest. Um, but, but then again, you know, if you renegotiate that, that takes that away and that's what you've seen, but you see that more often with the guys you mentioned were free agents, guys they brought in from the outside right. who kind of came in with issues as opposed to the Fred Warners, the George Kittle, the in-house guys that they're re-signing.
1: Yeah, Debo would be, if they sign him through 2025, Debo would be 30 when free agency comes down in 2026. And with the way his body already is, and the number of hits he takes, the way he takes hits, like, that's, I don't, I don't know. It just feels a lot different than the DK Metcalf situation where yeah, DK is going to be 28 when he hits free agency. So he'll get another big contract, but man,
3: DK Metcalf's also never missed a game.
1: Right. Right. So Debo
3: Samuel, the numbers are actually more similar than I thought. Debo's got 30, 3,148 all-purpose yards, 21 touchdowns in three seasons. Metcalf has, uh 3187 total yards and 29 touchdowns.
1: So that's okay, so that that's that's one of the interesting things to me. When you look at just a the availability, yeah. 49 games to 38 over the last 3 years. And then you just look at this receiving production. I feel like you can't factor in the rushing as much if Debo's is going to say he doesn't want to run anymore. Like you just I don't think you can. I still think he's scenarios. going to.
3: Like, I still, I, I don't envision any scenario. And I thought it was notable when Kyle Shanahan was so stern when he said on Tuesday, um, I had a conversation with Debo and we're on the exact same page and didn't elaborate beyond that. I I have a hard time believing Kyle Shanahan's going to be like, okay, it's third and four against the Rams in sure. the fourth quarter. And there, there's a clause in Debo's contract that says, don't run the ball as much. I just don't see him not... I don't see him thinking that way. Like he like he's going to call a running play, whether he, like if he wants to, he's going to do it. And so mm-hmm. I think it's probably going to come down to incentives. I don't think there's they're going to be like decentives for the 49ers to um, to not use Debo Samuel in the running game. I think overall, both it, it's important for both sides to keep Debo healthy. Um, so they'll try to veer away from it as much as they can. But if it when it comes down to it and it's a playoff game, like when in Dallas, when Debo Samuel asked mm-hmm. for the ball, they're going to give him the ball, so right. Um, we'll we'll see. I think Nick has something to say on that. No, I was just going to say I, I I I agree with you on this one, Chris.
2: I, it's it, there's a happy medium to be found here for Debo Samuel, where you know it, people act like last year was the first time he was used as a running back, and I guess technically it was at least in lining up in the backfield and playing that position, but they used him on running plays a lot' it, uh, not yeah. shouldn't say a lot but a decent amount before that it was just a lot of jet sweeps those little pop passes that count as a pass that chris hates that, that they're counted as passes <laughs> but they but they're basically he a,
1: he's on a crusade against yeah, that chris really a pass. hates those I hadn't even so. thought I about, about that it like in a long time
2: with Debo next year just to see Chris <laughs> be upset about it but but that but that was kind of like they sprinkled it in right that they did line him up in the backfield a few times previously but they sprinkled it in and then last year it was just such a drastic thing but it was all boring out of necessity and that's that's what I don't think people understand is they were so banged up at running back a lot of it was like well Debo can you can you do this and then he was really good at it he scored touchdowns almost every time he did it it seemed like for a while there so um, I think there's a happy medium to be found there and I think that is why um, that is I think where they'll come in I think that's probably the same page that Kyle Shanahan is referring to of hey you know we're still going to do this and Debo name me a receiver in the league that doesn't want the ball you know right. he's gonna he's going to want it in certain situations, like you said, Chris. And and I think that they can find that middle
3: ground that keeps everybody happy. Can I, I also, just say my piece on the pop pass thing? Debo can Samuel I say my piece Gless- on Debo first? Sure, go for it. Please, okay, thanks. Please, it's just real quick. It's just real
2: quick. No, take your time, Kyle. It's, it's for Debo. the listeners. They might not take know what I'm talking about. about, about. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> I think I think you can get to the res- like rushing numbers Debo had last year. Was it fifty nine, three sixty five, and eight? But spread out over seventeen weeks instead of 53 of those carries coming in the last eight games or whatever it was yeah and i think that is a lot more reasonable than the workload he had in the back end of last year
3: yeah i mean i would i would guess if he stays healthy and the 49ers aren't decimated at running back um with injuries like that 59 number should probably shrink to like 35 right right like two a game or something right something in in that neighborhood so my piece on the pop passes you
1: do that and then i have an update on the kyler murray thing
3: debo okay debo samuel is excellent after after the catcher with the ball in his hands right like we know that that's undisputed what would annoy me about the pop passes is he technically gets yards after the catch for pop passes kyle shanahan installs those as running plays he considers them running plays so i'm not here to diminish what debo samuel is after the catch but when you see some of the stats that are like Debo Samuel's incredible after the catch. It's like half of his yak yards come on running place. That's it. The, Your the, crusade the, is the the to stats... say that
1: Debo Samuel is not good after the catch.
3: <laughs> the stats are not an accurate reflection of what's it's actually happening. as
1: a stunning take. That's all.
0: That is <laughs> uh, all. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: On the Kyler Murray Arizona situation, the Arizona Cardinals have released a statement. <laughs> Hang on, oh, we got it's now been quoted by Ian Rappaport with the official statement. After seeing the distraction it created, we have removed the addendum from the contract. It's just the addendum. They don't say which one. It was clearly perceived in ways that were never intended our confidence in Kyler Murray is as high as it's ever been. And nothing demonstrates our belief in his ability to lead this team more than the commitment reflected in this contract.
3: Should they have a press conference to address this? Like you think Steve Kime should sit down in front of reporters and they should talk about it for half an hour.
1: I think they need to go full presidential style with Kyler sitting at a desk with the contract (laughs) in front of him and the 14 pens and Steve Kime and ownership and freaking Larry Fitzgerald <laughs> and like Kurt Warner and David Boston uh, and Andre Wadsworth. Thank you. Yeah, that guy. Aeneas is Williams. and Aeneas, oh, Aeneas Williams. How could I forget? Anymore?
2: Roy Green. I, I, I go St. Louis Cardinals on you if you want me to. So, <laughs> Emmett Smith. Uh, Albert Pujols? <laughs> Neil Lomax. <laughs> no, um, you can go baseball Cardinals if you really want to. So, yeah.
1: Say, so, okay. Uh, that's the bit. So um, I think that's what they need to do. And he just signs it with all the different pens. And
3: I, Kyler Murray's contract so far has been the gift that's kept on giving. I just I'm, I'm here for this. I'm here for all of this stepping on ourselves. I
2: just love to- I love <laughs> the implied blaming of the public for how they reacted. Right. <laughs> right. It's just when, like we,
1: I, we can't believe you guys. You thought this. Like, it was perceived in ways that were never intended. What, what was the intention? Like, yeah,
2: that's what we need to know. What was the intention? Right.
1: Like, like you said, it wasn't an incentive. Like, like hey, like, like you're in the room so much, we want to reward you financially. It was just plain as day. Like, man, you don't put the work in. Yeah. we want to be able to cut you if you don't put like nullify this contract if you the, don't put the word that's the
3: team walking it back is just it's just wild to me it's dude. like you're paying him two hundred. it's a 230 million dollar contract at some point you got to do like the that's what the money is for thing and just tell Kyler right. to shut up Right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the, the outrage that they're expressing towards other people is blowing my mind I, like they're more upset about this than Chris is about the pop pass thing. <laughs> it is, it, and that's been going on for like two years so <laughs> big time stuff here
3: Okay, we have not talked. We have not talked about training camp yet. Let's oh. talk about training camp because Nick's been at the two practices. Um, it's Trey Lance's team. He threw an interception today.
1: Is it uh, now Nate Sudfeld's team?
3: That you know what Nick is it Nate Sudfeld's team? You've been there.
2: Nate Sudfeld also threw an interception today. If that if we're if we're, if we're going based <laughs> off of that, hey. and Brock Purdy threw too. So you know oh my guy, didn't? Brock Purdy,
1: Jimmy Garoppolo.
2: I, I you know. I I'm I always like put the caveat on here when I talk about training camp this early because they're not in pads yet and right. it's, like you guys like to wait for the structure I like to wait for the pads before I like start <laughs> making sweeping declarations you know and and I just I I honestly like I I can't get into the like oh I got to keep detailed stats and all this stuff especially right now cuz the offensive line without Trent Williams without Mike McGlinchey they're they're it's patchwork at best I mean right now you've got Colton McKivitz is playing one of the tackle spots. Uh, your guards are Spencer Burford and Aaron Banks. Jalen Moore is the other tackle. And then Brendel and Brunskill are rotating at center. And the 49ers defensive line, by the way, is really good, even with pads on. So it's almost it's almost like unfair. It makes it really hard to judge what Trey Lance has done. Um, but, you know, the first couple of days I feel like he's been fine. He's had his ups and downs, which I think is probably going to be what his season looks like. You know, there's going to be some ups. There's going to be some downs. You. You know, today the interception he threw to Jimmy Ward was, you know, for lack of a better term, very Garoppolo esque. Like it was over the middle. Jimmy Ward was basically like he was throwing it to Jimmy Ward. Uh, it was easy. Um, it, was, it was just not a good read by Trey Lance. Uh, but then he comes back and he layers one in over two. You know, two defenders surrounding Brandon Ayuk and he dropped it over the first one defender, but into Ayuk's hands. And it was there's a great throw. So and you see the speed. He, he had a couple of runs. So again, like. I don't think there's much to take away this early in camp and really in camp. A lot of times people need to remember too: guys are working on stuff. You know, this is what, this Mm -hmm. is the time of year you're supposed to be doing that. I think my biggest takeaway is listening to Trey Lance talk and just how much more at ease he seems. Um, And even after a day like today where he comes in and says, I thought today was better than yesterday. And if you go by just the numbers of, you know, completion percentage and all that kind of stuff, Uh, that that those people keep track of, some people keep track of, you would say, well, how is that better? And I think Trey's point was like he feels confident that this is his team, and part of the reason that Jimmy Garoppolo is not around is that he can feel confident to make those mistakes Mm -hmm. and not have to worry that every time he does that, he has to look over his shoulder and people are going to be clamoring for Jimmy Garoppolo. So that, when you talk about, you know, people say, well, why wouldn't they bring Jimmy back? You know, even at the exorbitant contract, you want to have this great backup and all that stuff. And I, I understand sort of that thinking, but that's why. That is the reason why is because it makes Trey Lance, it gives him that ability to really take ownership here. And I think that is what you're seeing. And again, it's not a tangible thing, but I think it's very obvious if you're paying attention and listening to Trey Lance and just seeing how he is in front of the media, how he is on the field, all of those different things.
3: Yeah, there's no game planning going on, right? Like there's no George Kittle. I haven't been there, but... Uh, I'm going Monday when they put pads on, but in the other camps I've been to George Kittle typically works in super slowly. Right. And gets like five reps of practice. So it's like you could add George Kittle to that mix of guys, not playing Debo Samuel, obviously isn't playing Kyle Shanahan's not game planning for the defense. Um, But I do want to talk about the defense a little bit because with all of the quarterback conversations that we've had this off season and, and how that's dominated the focus, The Niners defense is probably going to be the unit that carries this team and if it's good like elite elite like it was in 2019 the Niners might not need a whole lot from Trey Lance and they might be able to like win the division and potentially make a big run and I look I know it's very early it's still July and the pads aren't even on yet but with what we're hearing about Charverius Ward and Emmanuel Mosley and Jimmy Ward making a play today and Talano Hufanga making plays, obviously Nick Bosa being healthier and a year removed from the knee injury. Um, You know, Eric Armstead, presumably feeling more comfortable on the inside. Like the ceiling for this defense is way up there. Like it has the potential to be as good as any unit in the league and if it is, the Niners could go really far, irrespective of what Trey Lance's rookie season looks like. I'm curious, Nick, if you're having the same vibes watching the practice now as as maybe you were in 2019 when it comes to just the level that the defense played at during that training camp. Yeah, I
2: mean, I think the one thing that is at least semi fair to judge right now without the pads is what happens on the perimeter, because you know the pads don't matter quite as much when you're not having a car wreck on every on every play. And I, I just think Watching Charvarius Ward the last couple of days, I get it. Like I, I understand it. And it's it's funny. I was telling somebody this story today before the Super Bowl in 2019. I was talking to some people at the Niners organization and they were they were already complaining about the amount of holding that the Chiefs were gonna do on the perimeter in that in that game before it took place. Like they were like, This is what they do. The Chiefs had led the league and Like, you know, defensive holding and pass interference and all that kind of stuff. And Traverius Ward was one of those guys that was on that team and was guilty of it. But I was told that one of the things that has really elevated his game, because he was already a good player, is that he has gotten much better in terms of his press man abilities. And you can see that on the field and you can see that he understands how to use his hands well at the line of scrimmage. Um, and maybe some of that is just learning how to cheat better. I don't know. Uh, you know, I think Richard Sherman would probably tell you that, that was a, a key to, to his development, but um, I, I think that is a, a huge addition. And if Traverius Ward is the guy that they think he can be, that is the thing that takes them back up to that level. Because I think when you've seen, even the last couple of years when the Niners defense has been good, by all means, it's been very good. It just hasn't been that 2019 level. Well, what was the difference between 2019 and, in the last couple of years, it was legitimate corner play, uh, especially Richard Sherman playing at an all-pro level. And I'm not trying to put those types of expectations on your board, but I think he's going to get a lot of opportunities to make plays. Um, and I think he is the key to kind of elevating them. And again, I'm not trying to say they have been, haven't been good. They've been very good the last couple of years, but I think they can get back up to that level of 2019 if he becomes the player that they think he can be.
1: I think that all benefits Lance too. Just kind of going back to that because Chris, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but in 2019 when Jimmy Garoppolo, a he was coming back from the ACL, but B he was just like really struggling in camp. And then it turns out like, Oh, he was going against the best defense in the league every day. And when you talk about Lance needing to bank reps, this isn't just some, like he's not just going through the motions and, and throwing against second and third teamers. Um, He might, Be playing against arguably the best defense in the league again. But like Nick said, it's tough to gauge too because there's no real pass rush. The offensive line is weird right now. And I want to talk about that in a minute. But Nick, I wanted to get a gauge on Lance specifically. Like accuracy was a big talking point going into this season. Like, oh, accuracy was an issue. There was the arm fatigue. The team was worried about accuracy. I know it's a little tough to judge at this point, but has there been anything egregious where it's like, man, he just, that that's going to be a throw he can't make or a throw he struggles with. Uh, Again, not, not making sweeping declarations, but just through two days, is it like, has something stuck out?
2: Yeah. I mean, I do think that that is, I think some of the intermediate stuff where Garoppolo lived, you know, between Mm -hmm. the hashes and over the middle, let's say between five and 15 yards. that, That was kind of Jimmy Garoppolo's house, right? Like, I, I'd like to see Trey Lance be a little better there. He missed a throw today in practice that was just a quick in-breaking route and he threw it behind the receiver. It wasn't even close in completion. Like those are the types of things that they need to be automatic. And, and for Jimmy, they generally pretty much were and not only automatic, but were good enough to give them those yak opportunities that they value so much. But um, I, I think that the thing that the Niners are willing to accept is the trade-off of, okay, maybe Trey Lance's, Completion percentage will be, let's say, six or seven points lower than Jimmy Garoppolo. But where he's going to make up for that is his ability to hit the deep ball, which Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't do, and his ability to run. And, and so that's kind of the trade-off that you're going to have to live with. So maybe there's going to be those misses on first and second down that, that you're going to groan about. Um, but he's going to make up for it on third down by taking off when the pocket breaks down and he picks up a first down. So, right. I, it, again, it's it's I don't want to make, any, like you said, no, any sweeping declarations. I think he's been pretty accurate for the most part for the first couple of days. There's been a few misses here and there. The one thing he did last year that was a concern was he missed high a lot and over the middle. And I pointed that out to Chris a number of times last year when we were watching practice, like that's the one thing that you can't do because those turn into interceptions. If you miss high and outside and it goes out of bounds, it's not the end of the world. You live to fight another day. But that's where you got to cut down on those turnovers. And so he hasn't done a lot of that just yet in these practices, but again, very early on. And um, I'm sure that's going to be something that they want because it is such a staple of this offense is using that middle of the field, particularly when you have guys like George Kittle, Debo Samuel, who do a lot of work after the catch.
3: Yeah, and if the Niners wanted to inflate Trey Lance's completion percentage, they could just dial up a bunch of pop passes. <laughs> <laughs> Since they're passes, and Why all you know, I the yards pitch, per the, the yards per attempt numbers can be nice and high when you know Debo Samuel rips off a thirty-yard run on those plays. Can
1: he be? Can he be accurate over the middle <laughs> on six-inch throws?
3: <laughs> but I do okay. So I do want to talk about Brandon Ayuk because <laughs> we've had. <laughs> we've had, we've watched the 49ers have guys break out, right? We've had George Kittle broke out in 2018. Um, Debo Samuel broke out last year. And if there's a guy I think you can look at on the 49ers offense that might be primed for that type of season, it's Brandon Ayuk. And I'm wondering, Nick, from, you know, the first couple of days of practice on the field, has that registered to you? Because I know people have been writing about him a lot. And part of that's because he did go to the to the podium to speak at a press conference um, the other day, but like, do you think Ayuk is capable or maybe primed to have? I don't know, maybe not like a Debo Samuel All Pro type breakout, but like become a guy that will be in a con- will be in the mix for a, a thousand yard, twelve hundred yard season.
2: Yeah, let let me let me put the uh, important warning on the on the beginning of this is I'm an, I'm the idiot who thought he was going to do that last year. So right. just take 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 the following with the I did too yeah, I take the following, but you know, he did taper off kind of his camp went along, but I will say i will I will double down on it and say, I do think it happens this year. And I think part of it first of all, is he and Trey Lance have basically been tied at the hip. those guys those guys spent the off season together essentially. um I, they've they're clearly very close here in the opening at camp with Debo not practicing Brandon Ayuk is the number one wideout on the team and the guy that Trey Lance seems to be looking for a lot but um, I think it was really interesting to listen to Kyle Shanahan talk about Brandon Ayuk on I think it was Wednesday and he was just kind of laying out going really taking us back to last year when everyone was you know having the debate on his Brandon Ayuk in the doghouse what's wrong all those things and Kyle Shanahan made a really interesting point. He was talking about how Brandon Ayuk's first two years in the league were the weirdest years you could possibly have as an NFL player because they had never been there had never been years like it in the world, at least as long as the NFL's been around with COVID. And it threw off his entire rookie season. He didn't he didn't get it. It threw off his second season because it was an unusual offseason, even though it was a little more normal, but it wasn't quite the same. And the point Kyle Shanahan was making was basically like how to be a professional, like how to handle your business when you are not at the facility, because it's so easy when you have that buzzword for you guys structure of coming (laughs) in and this is the way your day is going to lay out. And you're going to be in meetings at this time and practice at this time. You can do jugs, all that stuff. But when you're not here, what are you doing to make sure that you're better than the guy across from you? And I think Brandon, Ayuk had to learn that. And I think he learned last year and I think those lessons have carried over. And then this off season was really the first one he's had where he had OTAs he had mini camps he had all the different the, the offseason training program all the things that are part and parcel of being an NFL player that were built in but he also had to learn that he has to carry that over in those months when he can go away a little bit so um, I think all of that is going to add up to him being um, a weapon that the 49ers take advantage of and I think that with after the year Debo had and the way people already think about Kittle, Ayuk is going to be the guy that more often than not probably gets the favorable matchups that Kyle Shanahan likes to exploit too.
3: Yeah, and Ayuk said it, too, during the offseason program, like the thing that he really learned from last year that he wished he could have told himself was, like, he he should have taken coaching better. Like, he was resistant to the coaching he was getting instead of embracing it. And Kyle Shanahan can be a tough coach. He can be a very harsh critic, and he can be very demanding. And how you respond can often dictate how sh- – or will dictate how Shanahan responds in turn, right? If Shanahan is stern with you and wants you to be better, and you internalize it and get angry about it instead of working to get better, then you know that's that's not a productive way to get on the field and be a part of his offense, right? So I think there's there's certainly an element of give and take there, and I think I think Ayuk has embraced that this offseason. And and you mentioned um, you know his relationship with Trey Lance, like that chemistry is there, and and Trey Lance even last year made Brandon Ayuk his favorite target in training camp so these guys i think are going to work well together um and yeah i agree with nick hundred percent like there's a real chance that Ayuk is a guy that that breaks out this season
1: that's been my take when i I know you guys get this people hit you up and be like hey fantasy football question i'm like (laughs) like, i don't know (laughs) but i've just that's been my my scorching hot take is that brandon Ayuk is going to finish the year with more receiving yards than debo samuel that's been my what about we, all purpose yards my go do take i don't i don't know
3: <laughs> maybe yeah i i think it's certainly possible i think it's certainly possible i the thing that's interesting to me is like what's the distribution of the receiving yards going to look like given that the niners are going to run the ball right as much as anybody else right like is somebody like there, there's a decent chance they have three 900-yard guys and lead the NFL in rushing, right? Like, they might not even have a 1,000-yard receiver because they're spreading it out between Kittle, Debo, and and Ayuk.
1: Nick, your thoughts?
3: (laughs) I
2: gave my thoughts. I thought I gave my thoughts. No, I I mean, I think – I know, Kyle, you mentioned it, but I think the offensive line is is really the big question mark and going to be the big question mark, and I know we've talked about that before, but the the interior in particular, and and you watch – right now um, with, with them just kind of piecing it together. And you realize, I think we already knew obviously that Trent Williams is a great player, but like just taking him away and taking him out of the mix. And, you know, he missed a couple games last year with injury and was banged up in the playoffs and those types of things. It's like, this is they're, they're in such a position now that I don't think that they can afford really, especially him to have any sort of miss any time. Um, but trying to get McGlinchey back and, and things like that. Um it's it's a big question and and I think that when you talk about you can't really have the Trey Lance conversation without having the offensive line conversation either um, because to me I think I understand why the 49ers let Lake and Tomlinson go I I get that you know you, they were going to invest that kind of money and they, it was corner or guard you take the corner and it gives them a chance to set up their defense to be dominant but um they that that part of the equation is going to really have to come into focus here over the next few weeks and so far what we've seen Daniel Brunskill is working at center, and he's kind of rotating with Jake Brendel, and it makes you think, like, what are their plans at right guard? And I don't necessarily know that it's Spencer Burford because I know he's been with the ones here the first couple of days, but Jalen Moore, who they've been wanting to play guard since they drafted him, just hasn't really had a chance to do it because – of the situation at tackle. So once, once Trent Williams is back in the mix and once Mike, Mike McGlinchey is healthy enough to get back in there, we'll get a better idea of that. But you talk about a group that needs to find that cohesion and needs as many reps as they can get together. And with Trey Lance, it's those guys right there. I
1: know he's go ahead. Do you think Burford is playing right guard because they think he's their best option and they're going to let Brunskill and Brendel battle for the center job and figure out who their best five are that way? Or is this just like, hey, he's going to get these reps for now because we know Brunskill, we know what we have in him at right guard, and we're going to start with, with Burford, and then we'll change it up when pads come on?
2: I think they'd like to see more and Bur- Burford work at right guard because uh, Maura was working there in the off season program. And so I think that's what they would like to see. It's just, a, again, it's just like, it's hard to even say because they have so many moving pieces, mm-hmm. but yeah, the early indications are that it seems like it's going to be a Brunskill versus Brendel battle at center. Um, and I, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic. I I personally think that Daniel Brunskill, uh, we've seen him play just about every position and center to me was the worst one out, out of the groups that right. that he's been at. Now, granted that was in a really lost season where there's a lot of things going wrong. You can't pin it all on him by any means, but um, that seems to be what I think their ideal is, but they haven't really been able to get their ideal because if they had their way, Jalen Moore would have been a guard last year. And you would already know if he could be your starter this year.
1: Right.
3: So we've seen the 49ers, I don't want to say they've like punted on certain positions in off seasons because I like, I'm sure they've tried to invest resources at, at certain spots, but like 2018 will always stand out to me because they needed edge rushers in the worst way and didn't really do anything because they had Cassius Marsh. Right. Tough to beat um, up. And, then, <laughs> and then, you know, 2019 felt like a very complete roster, 2019 uh, and 2020 felt like complete rosters. And then last year, it was the cornerbacks situation. This year almost feels similar with the center and potentially guard situation, even though they have bodies at guard, um, just unestablished guys there. But like Nick, uh, I'm curious if you think, because I, I kind of lean this way, are they more content to invest fewer resources along the offensive line, particularly in the interior, because they have an athletic quarterback now? And maybe they would be able to move the pocket a little bit more. Than they did with Jimmy Garoppolo, and that's sort of the counterpoint to it, because I I mean, obviously you don't you want to have a good offensive line in front of a a first year starting quarterback, but I would just from a skill set perspective, I mean, if you're if you're if you know your offensive line is going to struggle, wouldn't you feel a tiny bit more comfortable if you had an athletic quarterback behind it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I suppose you could make that argument. I guess the counterpoint to that would be. Well, if you're going to do that, you would probably want to invest your money on the interior where the guys have the shortest path to get to the right. quarterback. So, um, yeah, I, 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 look, I like I said, I understand letting Lake and Tomlinson go. I understand some of the things they've done. I was surprised they didn't at least add a center, so, and, and they still could. I mean, that's, you know, we've already seen the Tampa Bay. Ryan Jensen went down with an injury today. It sounds like that's going to be a long-term thing. So there's going to be another veteran center that's out there on the market. Now that's probably going to be gone here in in the short term. And so they need to start really kind of figuring out if like, that's going to be an issue, but they don't seem concerned by it. Like, and that's kind of the interesting thing to me, especially at center where Kyle Shanahan, that's the one position on the interior that he has always valued. You know, they, they've made that significant investment in Weston Richburg before that he's had guys like Alex Mack. And then of course, Alex Mack last year. So like, we know that he puts a premium on that spot. So he either really, really likes Jake Brendel and we just didn't, didn't know that the whole time or they're just in a situation where we got, they got to sign Debo Samuel. They're going to have to sign Nick Bosa probably next year, it sounds like, but that's another big contract that's coming up. You know, Brandon Ayuk's not that far off from being due for a contract. So there's there's a number of different kinds. Jimmy Ward is going to be up again soon. So there's a lot of kind of moving pieces that they have there. And so I understand that you can't invest big money at every single position, but for me, I would have just... At least at center, I would have felt better about the way that line is shaken out if they had that guy where it's like, hey, you've got a veteran center that you believe in, then you got a left tackle in Trent Williams, and, yeah, Aaron Banks is new, but with those two guys around him, he should be able to at least get by this year.
1: A lot of Bs on the offensive line. True. Banks, Brendel, Brunskill, Burford. Burford.
3: I mean, it's just it's an elite initial if you think about it.
1: I would disagree.
2: Maybe the rank worst the rank, initial.
1: Rank the initials. I'll go. All right, my top three initials. Yeah. One X. Yes. Two M. Mm-hmm. Okay. Three. N A.
2: That's two initials.
1: That's not a no, not available. Not 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 oh. combining. What if I did one and the bit gets confusing? It's just just one and two a three. It will will always be a good bit.
3: Um, the listeners just just trust us, it's a good bit.
1: It's a really good bit.
3: Um, oh Nick, I wanted to ask you about Nick Bosa.
1: Um, because (laughs) hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I do have a real thing to ask. But when you said hey Nick, the first thing that popped into my brain was you going, Hey Nick. Are you going to get a LeBron James, Ohio state Jersey? <laughs> and I don't know why that popped into my head, but okay.
3: Um, go on.
1: Nick, Nick Bosa. I'm not going.
3: How, to. how good does Nick Bosa look right now in your estimation? Yeah. He's, he's good at the football. Um, there's, I don't it,
2: It's one of those things where like, I, I you know, I covered Aaron Donald when he was at the Rams very early on and like, you ran out of superlatives, adjectives, whatever, like very early on. And like, that's where we're at with Nick Bosa. And the amazing thing about Nick Bosa is like, I feel like the Niners should send everyone on their team that needs to like work hard in the off season to train with Nick Bosa because he comes back in better shape than everyone. Even D'Amico Ryan's today was like admittedly talking about how like, yeah, sometimes I find myself just watching Nick Bosa. Like it's the first day of camp and this guy looks like he's been playing football for six months or whatever, you know, like he's, he's in great shape and he's, he's ahead of, he's so far ahead of the game. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive to watch. And I, I, I personally think this is one of my bold predictions for the year. I think Nick Bosa is going to be the defensive player of the year in the NFL. And, oh, uh, and, and uh, that's of course the cost of that contract is only going to uh, to go up, but uh, that is a premium position. It'll be worth, worth every penny when that happens. If you think aggregators about- are going to
1: be all over, Nick Bosa is good, right? As ESPN reporter at,
2: at the football, too. I said
1: in the <laughs> classiest way I could
3: for sure. And if you're Nick Bosa and you think your best football is ahead and you're not concerning yourself with injuries and all of that, like you would be motivated to say, All right, well, I'm gonna go win defensive player of the year, and then you're gonna to have to pay me because if he wins defensive player of the year and gets a new contract next year, is he, is he a 35 million defensive player in the league? Yeah. He's the highest paid defensive player in the league and it's probably 35 million a season. Yeah. Compared to like maybe 28 if he signed it this off season. So yeah. like, I I get why he might want to wait. It is risky, but it makes sense from that standpoint. Can I just say I was, amu- I want to just tell a quick story
2: here from the press conference the other day. So We're, we're asking questions or whatever. And I asked John Lynch because I had heard rumblings that Nick Bosa was probably, they're probably going to wait till next year on Nick Bosa. That was the way it was going to go. And so I was like, I'm just going to ask him. I'm going to see, see what the deal is. And, and John Lynch gives his answer. It was a really good and helpful answer kind of laying out how they view these things. And he says, you know, our cadence, the way we do things is to sign guys when they have one year left on their deal. And of course, Nick Bosa, they exercise the fifth year option. So technically he has, two years left on the deal. And I, I was like, man, I'm an idiot. I should have known that. And then I was thinking about it. And I was like, you know what? They've never in the, in the history of John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, they've never re-signed one of their first round picks. So how am I supposed to know that? So, <laughs> right. Like I'm, I'm kind of making fun of myself, but it's like, it's just kind of a weird thing to think about that, you know, and there was only three guys before that, but nonetheless, you would think they had the number three picks. Solomon Thomas didn't re-sign. And then, you know, Ruben Foster, obviously, we know how that worked out. And and Mike McGlinchey is playing on the fifth-year option now. So um, it's at least nice that they're going through this and we can get a handle on how they will handle these things moving forward, uh, at least they hope so, with with Trey Lance and maybe even with Brandon Ayuk.
3: Yeah, so do you think Trey Lance is going to eventually
1: earn a second contract with the 49ers? <laughs> Based on what you've seen through the first two days of camp. Nick's face right now is just so bad I asked him that. Are the 49ers going to
3: extend <laughs> Trey Lance? I hit the mute button. As soon as
2: <laughs> I'm going to do the Wayne's world thing where it's like, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> the connection is going out guys. I didn't hear you. I'm not answering the question. No. Okay, I do. I do
1: love the idea of calling the way you operate a cadence. Yeah. I can't wait to start using that word more real football guys. Hey, Hey, Kyle, you want to go golf? You guys know my cadence on that <laughs> not until I get out to the range.
3: Um, do we got anything else? Is there anything else we should touch on before uh, before we get out of here? I think we no, talked you know about my everything. on ending these podcasts. <laughs> yeah, we're we're bad this at ending these pods. I think that's it, Nick. Um, where can people find your stuff? Plug yourself. Oh, I <laughs> that's almost worse than asking hey.
2: about Trey Lance's
3: future. Hey. Like,
1: Nick's never coming that, on the pod here's again. A, here's a here's a story <laughs> about Marcus Thompson. Our, our not. Not friend of the show. He's not been on the show. So just regular person. Yeah, he's friend. He's show. friend on. He's a friend of the show. Friend and not of the show yet. But Marcus Thompson for the athletic, terrific uh, columnist covers the Warriors. He wrote a book about Steph Curry. He's awesome. I think I had he's him on, of the show. I had him on him my college radio show. It was nice enough to do my shitty four people listening, including both my parents. College radio show. And so he comes on, and I have no idea what I'm doing, but I end the interview with. Where can people find your work? Um, and he goes, he goes just like this. You know how Marcus is the chillest dude ever. He goes, Psh, they can Google me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, it's like, all right. And it was that it was at that moment I learned that's a terrible like question to ask somebody.
3: Yeah, we should definitely get Marcus on the pod. Marcus is a living legend.
2: Yeah. You great. should definitely get Marcus on the pod. And then you can freely call him friend of the pod unless it goes awry. And if you ask dumb questions like, is Trey Lance going to get another question? It might go around. All, right. <laughs> <laughs> all
1: right, Marcus, first things first. Trey Lance. <laughs> Who gets an extension first? Trey Lance or Draymond Green? Ooh. Skada, da,
3: Trey, yeah. um,
1: get,
3: get him going on pop passes. I'm sure it'll be. Let's <laughs> listen to Bob. Um, all right, let's get out of here. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for hanging out with us and putting up with my bullshit. And uh, we will uh, we'll talk to you, or I'll see you soon. And we will talk to the listeners later.
1: Subscribe, rate, review.